Hey, Sister Courtney, how's your grandma doing? Okay. All right. All right, don't uh, forget to pray for her, Sister Courtney's grandma. Charlotte, right? Okay. All right, First Samuel chapter 17 tonight. First Samuel chapter 17. And when you find that, you can stand back up. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 17, I'll begin reading here in verse number 32. Bible says in uh, verse number 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about Goliath. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he was a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, if it was a Detroit Lions, you know it would have lost, amen? But uh, anyways, I'll get back on track here. <clears throat> Verse 35 says, And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath divided the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor. He put on a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And, in, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Then send David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I'll give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day into the fowls of the air, and wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh, to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took tents of stone and slang it, smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Man, that thing must have been moving, huh? 
I mean, sunk into his forehead. Wop. I want to see that. That's cool. Verse 50, the Bible says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for a Bible. Lord, that we can trust implicitly with no errors whatsoever. Thank you, Lord, uh, that it doesn't need any updating. Lord, uh, today, uh, even today, I had to update my computer. I'm thankful that we don't have to update the Bible. And, Lord, I had to wait like a half hour for that thing to update. But, Father, your word is always perfect. And we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, that it ministers to us every day at every hour that we put into it. Father, we love you. I pray that you'd... Feed us with your word and bless your word as it gets preached today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So as we continue to preach through this great chapter, and it is a great chapter. I know we know the story. We know how it goes. Amen. David prevails over the Philistine. And uh, man, what a great chapter. But as we go through this thing, there are a couple things become clear. Uh, first of all, the thing is that David truly was better than Saul. Look back real quick to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 28. You know, Samuel tells Saul this. Uh, here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 28, he says, uh, he says, And Samuel said unto him, talking to Saul, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. What a slap in the face. <laughs> But, I mean, here, David, we haven't even, we just learned to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and he's already a better man than Saul ever was. <laughs> we, so, we see the Bible's true, as always, and David is a better man than Saul. And not only that, but as you read this chapter in 1st, or 1st, yeah, 1st Acts, in, in the book of Acts chapter 13, verse 22, you see that David was a man after God's own heart. And we see those two things in this chapter. He's better than Saul, and he's a man after God's own heart. So one of the things I believe that God wants from you and I is not only our worship, but our willingness to love him and our willingness to be loyal to the God of heaven. And from verses 32 to the end of the chapter, we find certain character traits that define who David is, defines his heart, and I believe it also defines the heart of God. Now remember, David here is uh, about 17 years old. He's just not fully developed yet. Amen? Just like you and me. Kid's song, is he still working on me? I'm glad he is. You say, man, you got a lot of work. Amen. So do you. <laughs> Amen. If our lives uh, were like a construction zone, it would be like the state of Michigan, always in disrepair. Amen. <laughs> always there's a part of the Christian life, always that has to have work done to it. And while David is a man after God's own heart, you've got to remember that David, when he looks at God, when he looks at our lives, he's looking at our life in the completed state. Just like he looked at Gideon and he said, Oh, thou mighty man of valor. Remember that? Judges chapter 6. And Gideon's like, What you talking about, Willis? A mighty man of valor, you know? And the Lord's looking at you and he's looking at the completed you. Amen. He's looking at your aptitude, what you're able to do, and then what you will do 
And I believe you got to keep that in mind. David, he's a young man, 17 years old. And uh, he, makes, he makes a few errors along the way, just like you and me, amen? But here's the thing. He's not fully developed yet. He's just a young man, and uh, God's going to develop him in his way. He's God's man. He's going to develop him in his time frame. And notice this. Here's an interesting thing. A lot of times we have troubles in life. We have these valleys. Remember, David's ministry begins in a valley. Right? Here it is, the Valley of Eli. That's where David's ministry, the public ministry begins. The ministry actually begun back on the hillsides of Bethlehem, Ahib tending to daddy's sheep there. But, uh, and notice this, his public ministry begins in a valley facing something that everybody's afraid of. Amen? And if you look back at verse 32, verse 32 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, I wonder if this is... Our attitude when we have to face things uh, that we don't necessarily like. Uh, when you see things in life, you go through the valleys of life, and you see those giants that look overcome. Don't you go like, take, take, no, no, I'm here to save the day. <laughs> what does he says? And David said to Saul, why does the Lord have to do this to me? Right? No, he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight. With this Philistine. I want you to notice this is all introductory thing here, but when God uh, when God's man, the right way to react to a valley, the right way to react to a giant that everyone seems scared of is like, Thanks for picking me, Lord. You ever think like that when you go through something very difficult? I don't. I'm not even gonna pretend like oh, I'm the spiritual guy here. The fact of the matter is when I go through some things, I'm like, Really, Lord, this is not the time. This is not the place, and I don't want nothing to do with it. But when it's David's time, you know what he says? Hey, let no man's heart fail thee because of him. Thy servant will go and fight. I want you to consider, just as we get into just some character traits of a man that's after God's own heart, that when God allows you to deal with certain problems and go through certain things in life, maybe just go, okay, Lord, thank you that someone else doesn't have to go through it. Thank you, Lord, that you let me do it. I mean, that's, that is the right attitude. If we're going to be men and women after God's own heart, then we have to realize that God is letting us, He's appointing us these afflictions, and He's given us these things to deal with and go through and just say, Thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. And I'm thankful that I get to go through it. And uh, thank you, Lord, that someone else don't have to. Amen. But I want you to notice that if you're going to be a man after God's own heart, you're going to see some character traits throughout this passage. And the first thing I want you to see here in verse 32 is David's courage. David's courage. Verse 32, we just started there. The Bible says, Let no man's heart fail. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He's courageous. That boy had some courage. 17 years old. You say, well, it doesn't say it, uh, he was. Well, you figure about 17 years old. He's a youth, the Bible says, of a beautiful countenance. I mean, how many 20-year-olds you go, oh, he's got such a beautiful countenance, right? He's a young boy is what he is. Only a boy named David, right? But he's got courage. Now, notice his courage is contrasted with the cowardice of Saul. Look back at verse 11. Saul was the divine leader, wasn't he? He was the king. I mean, think with me. Shouldn't he been out there fighting that giant? 
He's the king. <laughs> amen. Got one amen from Youngin back there. 1711. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. David was courageous. He waltzes in there, and he's right with the Lord, and he's like, let's get it. <laughs> let's get after it here. But it's contrasted with the cowardice of Saul. Not only that, we preached about this last week, it's contrasted in verse 28 with the contention of Eliab. It's contrasted with the contention of Eliab. And in verse 28, about the only thing Eliab can say is, I know, I know, I know, and basically saying, you don't know, David. But that's contention. He wanted to argue with his brother. Do you ever stop and think uh, when people are out of sorts with you or out of sorts with the Lord? They're prone to contention. Grumble, cranky. You know what that is? That's contention. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. Here's a difficult thing, but do you know the only reason you argue is because of your pride? Thank you, brother. Amen. Only by pride cometh contention. Proverbs 13, 10. How about this one? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 6. The Bible says a fool's lips enter into contention. We doing all right tonight? Now, this is just easy stuff, amen? So if you like to argue, the Bible says you're a fool. And a fool's lips enter into contention. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10, a known verse here. But I want you to consider the author of the scripture for a moment. Proverbs chapter 22, obviously the author is the Holy Spirit. Here it's coming through Solomon, right? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10, the Bible says, Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. You say, well, what does that mean in the original Hebrew? Kick them out. <laughs> Cast out the scorner. You see it? Right in front of you. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Bible follows the author. You say, how so? Well, when you get to 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, you have the contention of Eliab, right? We preached that last week. And so what does the Bible do? The Bible follows the author even in the narrative of history and kicks out Eliab and keeps David. You see it? You never hear from Eliab again. You know why? Because he scorned David. David's a type of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And you know what? You're not going to scorn Jesus Christ and get very far in his life. Not going to happen. Proverbs 22, 10, cast out the scorner and contention shall cease. Sometimes it, uh, you know, there things get so bad, some, sometimes a split has to take place. And you see that in Acts chapter 13, verse uh, 39, is it, so forth and so on, with John, Mark, and Paul. The contention was so sharp uh, between brethren. They had to split. They had to have a brotherly split there. But the fact is, is uh, David's courage is contrasted with the contention of Eliab. Uh, not only David's courage, but let me show you this through the passage. I'm talking about a man after God's heart. He had courage. But let me tell you what. If you're going to be courageous for the Lord, uh, then you're going to face some criticism. You are. And so here, number two, in verse 33, I want you to see not only David's courage, but David's criticism. Uh, that is criticism that was had for David, not David's own criticism. So we'll say this. In uh, verse 33, you see Saul, and David wants to do something for the Lord. And, of course, Saul, he's the first one to say, you can't do it. You see it? That's criticism. He says, thou art not able. 
So if you decide to do something for the Lord, you will face criticism. And if you can't handle that criticism, well, then you haven't grown up very much in the Lord. You're going to face criticism when you decide to do something for the Lord. But notice this criticism in verse uh, 33. It was unfounded. Amen? He says, thou art not able. Let me ask you this question. What in the world does Saul know about David anyways? Amen. Let me ask you this. What do your criticizers know about your relationship with the Lord? Not very much. Amen. How does Saul know what David can and can't do? He's clueless. Isn't it interesting that you, you see criticism from a man, coming from a man who's unwilling to fight, telling another man that he can't fight either? I want you to think about that just for a second. Criticism against doing something for the Lord can at many times come from someone who's not willing to do anything for the Lord. I want you to see that. Now, if Saul was in the battle, why wouldn't he rally around people that are willing to fight? But he's not willing to fight, so the first thing he tells David is, oh, he's going to mop up the ground with you. You're just, you're just a kid. You don't know what you're doing. He's a big old guy. You know, he's, he's been a warrior from his youth. You don't know what David did. You don't know what you don't know how God's been stern in the heart of David out on the backside of the hills. You know, all Saul knows, all Saul really knows is he he's a shepherd boy and he plays a pretty good old harp. That's all Saul knows. Oh, that's a little that's a little shepherd boy. He's a little, little you know fluty flute harp player, the fellow there. That's all Saul knows. <laughs> He plays a pretty good tune, you know. What do you expect? He's got all that time. He's just, you know, harping around on the hills of Bethlehem there. Nobody knows how God was stirring in the heart of David. Let me say this. I'm not trying to tell you that that you can do anything you want, but nobody knows what you can do for the Lord. Nobody knows. Someone gets in your grill and tells you you can't do this. Okay, well, if they're trying to help you... Have some common sense. Listen, but you don't, you don't know what somebody can do for the Lord with God's leading, God's guiding. You be kind, but just go the other way. But David's criticism, not only was it unfounded, but here's the other crazy thing. In verse 34, it's, uh, it's unlearned and quite uneducated. Amen? It's unlearned and uneducated. In verse 34, you see the Bible says, and David said, so you know what we're going to see here? David is going to teach Saul a thing or two right now. Uh, David is going to give him, provide him some learning. Amen? Look here in verse 35. Uh, I want you to see that God gave David some supernatural drive. Supernatural drive. Do you realize today that it is not natural for you to want to go do something for God? <laughs> I just fell off the end of the pulpit like there was a you know, pile of trash there or something. Look at verse 35, it says, And I went out after him and smote him, talking about that, that, that lion and that bear, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. God gave David some supernatural drive. Now look at this one here, 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now God's been stern in the heart of this young boy as a shepherd, and the Lord may have even revealed to David what he was going to do, but he's still a young man. And when God reveals to a young man what he's going to do, he doesn't give him the whole picture. He just gives him a little bit. But notice this thing. It's a supernatural drive. It really is. Uh, 22, 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 35. This 
verse right here is in the Bible twice at two different places. 2235, you tell me if this isn't supernatural or not. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. That's David. Would you say that's supernatural? I'd be getting out of that boy's way. Amen? That's supernatural drive. If I saw a fella in front of me take a bow of steel and go, I'd be like, I'm out of town. I'm leaving on the next thing smoking for sure. But here's the thing, and you find that verse over in Psalm chapter 18, verse 34, the exact same phrase, he teacheth my hand, that's supernaturally driven. And I'll tell you what, the more you live for God, the more he will ignite your heart to live for him and serve him. But that thing just isn't coming out of the, out of the box like that. That's supernaturally driven. I mean, you see, God, God has given everyone in this church building a certain amount of what? Capacity to love him, capacity to serve him, and depending upon what you do with it depends on if you get more or not. He said, well, the Lord's only given me that much. Okay, well, then do that much with what you got. You see what I mean? It's like the, the fellow over there in the gospel, three of them, and God gave uh, each of them a certain amount there. There's two accounts of this thing, and the one went and uh, tripled it, and one went and doubled it, and one's like, well, I had one, so I went and hit it in the ground. To whom much is given, much shall be required. But if you use what God gave you, he'll give you more. And that's a supernatural drive. God gave David a supernatural drive in verse 35. Not only that, but in verse 37, back in 1 Samuel 17, God gave David supernatural deliverance. Supernatural deliverance. Bible says in verse 37, The Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. I don't care how good of a hunter you are, if you're a young boy, you are not going to fare well with a lion and a bear. You're going to have to have some supernatural deliverance. I mean, he did not have an AK-47, amen? He did not have a uh, Ithaca 12-gauge shotgun with a 3-inch choke on it. He was out there, and we know, you know what he had? He had a sling. But the Lord gave him supernatural drive and supernatural deliverance. Teacher taught his fingers and his hands how to war. Amen? As supernatural deliverance. But not only that, but look in verse 37. God gave David supernatural determination. Supernatural determination. That's just a fancy word saying gave him faith. Supernatural determination, verse 37. He says, he will deliver me. Do you face life's giants like that? Or do you go, well, here we go again. <laughs> right? Monday morning, here we go again. Oh, boy, I might as well just roll over and get run over. <laughs> Amen. He's got supernatural determination. But that, uh, that's only because his criticisms, they were unfounded, they're unlearned and uneducated. And let me tell you what, you're going to do something for God even in a small church like ours, even in a small community like ours, you're going to face criticism. You're going to face criticism from family. You're going to face uh, criticism from friends. And no matter what you do, when you tell people what you're doing for the Lord, they'll belittle it many times. And you know what Saul says? You, ain't gonna, you can't do that. If I had a dime for every time someone told me I can't do that, I'd have a, a handful of dimes at least. But it's criticism, David's criticism. Well, David's got some courage, and because of his courage, he, uh, he faced some criticism. But I want you to notice this. Uh, when you face criticism, sometimes you'll crack. You will. Sometimes you'll crack. You'll crack under pressure. 
You ever see someone, a brother and sister in the Lord, out here in the world, and they're acting kind of, kind of goofy, acting kind of weird, and you're going like this, what's wrong? You know what it is? Pressure. You know what makes people act funny? Pressure. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, you can't live in this world and face what God wants you to face without facing criticism, and you can react a couple different ways. You can hold up under the criticism, or you can just start to crack. And let me tell you what, I've done plenty of cracking over the years. Yeah, you crack under that stuff. You fall under pressure sometimes. But notice how David, he begins to crack, and what you find here in verses 38 and 39, I call this David's counterfeiting. Remember, he's a young man. He's being developed. And I see this in the life of young men, young men that are raised right. And what happens, they'll start listening to an older man. If that older man ain't right with God, it, there'll be a tendency for that older man to cause that younger man to stray or at least listen to him when they shouldn't listen. Now, look at this. Uh, what happens to David, David's counterfeiting in verses 38 and 39. First of all, he just tries to be somebody he's not supposed to be. You know who God wanted to use here? David. Not Saul. But look in verse 38. The armor wasn't his. And Saul armed David with his armor. I was got thinking about that thing, and maybe my thoughts are off. They're, they're all over the board sometimes. But see, Saul was at least seven foot. Can you imagine a 17-year-old boy in a seven-foot man's armor? Boy, it must look like a pile of junk. You know what I mean? But uh, maybe from a distance, maybe, they, maybe uh, Israel would have thought it was Saul out there fighting that giant. See what I mean? Saul was all about taking credit for where credit didn't belong to him. But look, here's David's counterfeiting. He tries to be momentarily, just momentarily, he considers the idea of being someone that he's not. You know who God wants to use? You. God doesn't want to use you described as somebody else or disguised as somebody else. You see what I mean? God wants to use you where you're at. And uh, the armor wasn't his. Verse 38 and verse 39 notices the weapon wasn't his. You know how you're going to face the giants in the valleys that you're looking at? Exactly what God's given you. You know, as a preacher, you know what I can't do? I can't copy my favorite preachers and try to use all their sayings and all their illustrations Unless it's a good one, then I won't tell you that I'll just steal it from him, amen? But I can't, I can't get up and try to preach like somebody else. I can't get up and try to be like somebody else. I can't try to pretend to have power when I don't. The armor wasn't his and the weapon wasn't his. Look at verse 39. He considered going into battle without proving the things he was going to take. Verse 39, he says, I have not proved them. So naturally, what do you have to do? He had to put all of the counterfeiting stuff off and revert to being simply who God made him to be. Amen? You know one of the most difficult things for men is? Just to be who God wants you to be. For whatever reason, you have a guilty conscience, many, many men and women do, about who you are, and that could be because there's something between you and the Lord, maybe, maybe not. But a lot of people struggle to think that God will use us the way we are. But that's what God wants to use. He wants to use you exactly how you are, where you're at in life right now. Uh, notice this. Look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll give you two verses on this thing and we'll move on. Let me tell you what. David tried momentarily to be somebody that he wasn't. And everybody faces that. Children can't be their parents, even though maybe 
They act like them. Maybe they shop like them. <laughs> Maybe they eventually dress like them. Heaven help them, right? <laughs> but God wants you to use you exactly who you are and where you're at. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse uh, number 10. You know what Paul says? He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Some of y'all thought Popeye said that. <laughs> you know what God wants? He wants to use you. He doesn't want to use you disguised as somebody else. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? I'm trying to get you to think for a second. Look at Psalm 139, verse 14. Now you're saying, well, preacher, you just, this is just positive thinking. No, this is biblical thinking. God saved you. He saved you. He knows you. He knows you by name. And when he calls us out of here, he's going to call your name out of here. Amen? So why would you try to be somebody else? Why would you try to be or talk like somebody else? Why would you try to act like somebody else? Why would you try to handle problems? like Just be yourself. That's some of the best advice I got as a young preacher coming to the ministry. They, uh, I just said, well, I, just, I don't have anything to offer them. And that preacher so wisely said, you are correct, but you have a Bible that does. I says, whoa, light bulb. <laughs> and he said this, just be yourself. That's a scary thought because I know me real well. Amen? And uh, that ain't always a good thing. Psalm 139, verse 14, the Bible says, I will praise thee, this is David now, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's not positive thinking. That's a man with a clean conscience towards God. God wants to use you. So what does he do? He's got to put off the other stuff, right? There's a perfect picture of putting off the old man. It doesn't fit. The old man doesn't fit you. The old man's inconvenient. He picks up his staff in verse 40. Saw 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. You know what that staff's a picture of? That's the right authority that brings comfort. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, me right? He picks up his staff. That's what God gave him. You know what God gave you? He gave you the book that's in your lap. Don't trade it for something else that don't fit. You see what I mean? That's the right authority. And that authority, uh, Romans 15 verse 4, it brings comfort. Amen? Not only that, but he picks up five smooth stones in verse 40. You know what I see that as? That's the right ammunition that works in the right circumstances. And you get, the more you read that book, the more ammunition the Lord will give you. And why we don't have the ammunition to face the giants in the valley is because we don't pick up enough stones when we're down in the brook. Amen? You ever heard people say, oh, that's a really good nugget? I always hate that. I'm like, I don't want a nugget. But you know what I see? I want, I want some smooth stones when I'm down in that brook. Amen? When you're down there spending time with the Lord and you're down in the brook getting refreshed, getting a drink of water, you know what the Lord's doing? Here, and he's taking his toe and he's digging in that riverbed and he goes, here, dummy, pick that one up. You're going to need that for later. Yeah, you need some smooth, you need the right ammunition for the right circumstances. So next time someone says, oh, I found a great nugget, that's what they're talking about. That means what they got from God was so good and it was so refreshing and it was so valuable that they picked it up. We've got to learn to pick that stuff up when we spend time with God. That's five smooth stones. Now notice, notice now, when you spend time with the Lord just like David, you're going to pick up more than you need at the moment, right? So how many stones, uh, I, I'm not a mathematician here, but how many times did he sling a stone to hit Goliath? 
once, but he picked up five, right? All right, we'll look at, uh, so one for now and four for later. See, never forget when you spend time with the Lord down at the brook and you're picking up stuff, you might only need one for now, but you're going to need some for later. Look here at uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21. This is good. You need one for now, and you're going to need four for later. I was a kid, there's a candy. I don't think it's still out called now and later. I always ate them all now, but anyways, they were good, you know. Now and later. I don't know, any kid could wait to eat them later. That candy's so terrible, rip fillings right out of your face and everything is bad. What? It was, you know. Watermelon, the best. Second Samuel, look at this now. Look what the King James Bible does for you if you believe it. Second Samuel 21. Start, uh, 21 verse 22. <clears throat> Bible says, These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of who? You see it? You say four what? Four more giants. Born by a giant. He had one now. And then four later, you see that? Five smooth stones. He went down into that brook and he picked up them five smooth stones. And the Lord's like, that's for you, Goliath. And for you, you ugly fool. And you and you and you. And you're going to wipe out the whole line. Isn't that a blessing? So what God wants to do, he wants you to use what you use every single day. He wants you to pick up the right staff. That's your authority. The right ammunition for the right circumstance. And you need to understand that although you're continually learning in the Christian life, the Lord is going to use you and fashion you many times after your very surroundings and your background and your ability. Think about it. He used Moses. Moses was a shepherd, right? And he was on the backside of the desert in Midian there, and he was leading the father-in-law's sheep all over the place. And what does God use Moses to do? Lead a bunch of sheep out of Egypt. You see that? Not only that, but he uses David. David's a keeper of sheep, and he uses David to lead and guide the nation of Israel. Nation of Israel. How about Amos? Remember, read the book of Amos? You know what Amos was? He was a farmer. Uh, Amos was familiar with planting. He was familiar with uh, uh, tilling the ground, and you know what he used Amos for? To till up the fallow ground of Israel's heart. You see that? God wants to use you where you're at, with your surroundings, with your abilities, with your shortcomings. Amen? God doesn't want to use somebody else. He wants to use you. Here's the illustration. A preacher can never out-preach his life. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I spit and stomp and snort, I will never out-preach the life that I'm living for Jesus Christ. And you as a Christian can never outlive your love for God. You'll never love him more, more than you're at right now spiritually. That's, that's a deep thought, but it's actually very shallow. And that's because the man is the message. Look at this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You and I are the message. You might be able to act spiritual, but you'll never be more spiritual than you are in love with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 2. You know the verse. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You see that? You'll never outlive your love for God. And if you love the Lord, other people will know it. 
Well, we see David's courage. We see the criticism that David faced and then his cracking and counterfeiting. And he puts that all aside. Thank God he put it aside before he hit the battlefield. Amen? That's important. Now I want you to notice David's confidence in verse 45. Uh, first of all, with David's confidence, I want you to see in verse 45 that his confidence is not in the flesh. You ever look around in this world, you know where the confidence is? It's all in the flesh. And I'm looking at flesh going, no confidence. Bible says in verse 45, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. David knew it. David knew that all that was behind that nine and a half foot hamite was rippling muscles and a shield and a sword and all. He's like, and he knew the God that he was dealing with. If David could get on the backside and get filled with the power of God and kill a bear and kill a lion, and let me tell you what, a lion, if Goliath wouldn't have had a sword and a shield, a lion would have ripped Goliath up. Those, uh, those African lions, uh, uh, they've been known to jump a nine-foot fence and grab a, a goat in its mouth and jump back over a nine-foot fence. And uh, if you ever want to, if you ever underestimate the power of a lion, just go ahead and make your cat mad and see what he does to you. And that's just a little 15-pound ball of fur. Now you go ahead and you put about, you know, 800 pounds on that. That cat will mess you up. <laughs> Don't go down the road with it, amen. <laughs> but his confidence was not in the flesh. David knew he was nothing in the flesh. Paul said, uh, he said that I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's no good thing that comes out of our flesh. You say, why? It can never be satisfied. It can't. You know, his confidence was not in the flesh. In verse 45, his confidence wasn't in his name. He knew that, look, just because I'm the son of Jesse don't mean nothing. Amen? Just because your last name is what it is doesn't mean a thing. Just because your first name is what it is don't mean a thing. Uh, if your dad was a preacher or a deacon, it don't mean nothing. Look at verse 45. David says, but I come to thee, how? In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Man, what a way to face your problems. You go in the Lord's name. <laughs> you know, your name is, uh, you know they say your name is mud. You ever heard that phrase? Your name is so terrible that you can't even get a ticket to heaven in your name. Your name ain't no good. Matter of fact, you have to have the Lord make a reservation for you. You're like, I'd like to make a reservation uh, to the, you know, at the Hotel of Heaven. And the Lord's like, uh, what's your name? And you tell him your name. He's like, nah, that don't work around here. <laughs> you know, what's, what's, what's the right name? The Lord Jesus Christ. And David comes before that uh, thing, and his confidence was not in the flesh. The confidence was not in his name. Or was, yeah, not in his name, but it was in the name of the Lord. Notice his confidence was in the enemy's defeat in verse 46. He said, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I'll give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. His confidence was that one day, very soon, that enemy was going to be defeated. How's your confidence level tonight? Have you read the Bible? You know how it ends? We sang about it. Fierce and long the battle rages, but our help is near, right? You know, onward comes our great commander, Cheer, my comrades cheer, and everyone's like, okay. 
Or is your confidence? Do you realize one day the enemy is going to be defeated, right? Are you excited about it? I'm not expecting you to grab the fans and twirl and jump out the window and that, but one day the enemy is going to be defeated. That means one day you won't have to face the mess you face. You're not always going to be lonely. You're not always going to be frustrated. You're not always going to be stressed out. I mean, where's your confidence? David's confidence that the enemy is going to get defeated. That's a great place to have your confidence. You can look around you and see the mess you're in at the workplace, the mess you're in in your family, the mess you're in financially, the mess you're in with your neighbors, and you're going to go, you know what? One day it's all going up in smoke, and we're getting out of here. And uh, David's confidence was in the enemy's defeat. And not only that, but his confidence was in the exaltation of the Lord. In the exaltation of the Lord. Look at verse 46. He builds to this thing, he says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David didn't go there. I'm telling you what, I'm going to do this to you, and I'm going to feed your flesh to the fowls of the air because my name is David and I'm important. <laughs> he didn't say that. He says that all may know, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You ever stop and consider how you live your life? Do you live your life so other people see you? Or do you live your life so that others can see the Lord? Do you work hard because you want the promotion? Or do you work hard because it's the right thing to do and you really want people around you to see Jesus Christ? His confidence was in the exaltation of the Lord. You see in verse 46, to the Lord belong the deliverance. In verse 47, to the Lord belong the battle. He says, for the battle is the Lord's. And in verse 47, to the Lord belong the victory. Here's this little Jew boy named David. You know the story. You know how it ends. And he goes in there and he just brags on the Lord the whole time. No wonder the Lord showed up. No wonder when that sling, that stone left that sling, that the Lord probably said, now Gabriel, when that thing leaves, you just flick it. Amen? And you want to know why that forehead of that giant got dented in like it did? I'm surprised it didn't blow a hole. I'd blow his head right off. <laughs> but then it ruined the types. See, the stone is a picture of Jesus Christ, the stone of Israel. We just preached about stones. What meaneth these stones? Well, they got a giant for sure. That's enough. And that giant Goliath is a picture of sin. Goliath is a picture of the Antichrist because he's against that Jew. He's a perfect type of that. But to the Lord belong the victory. And David said in verse 47, and he will give you into our hands. And I want you to see in verse 49, his confidence was in his weaponry. The Bible says in verse 49, And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. I wonder, where's your confidence tonight? Do you have confidence in your weaponry? Do you have confidence that when you wake up in the morning and you're frustrated and you're depressed and you're ready to bawl your eyes out before you leave, that the Lord will comfort you through the sword of the Spirit? Are you confident that when you meet things at the workplace or in your dealings with life that you can go here to get the answer? How's your confidence? I believe David was so I believe David had used that sling so much on the hillside and had so much time to practice, amen. And that's what we're doing every day. We should be practicing with our weapon. We should be learning how to use it offensively. We should be learning how to sharpen it defensively. A lot of Christians are good at defense. Twing, twing, twang. But every once in a while, you got to parry thrust that thing and stick it. 
I wonder how your confidence level is in your weaponry. David had confidence in his. I see the picture of this. I don't know how you see that and the whole narrative there. I see David's coming onto the field, and he's not even looking. Amen? And he's reaching into that bag. That stone goes in there, and he's just looking. Confidence. You ought to have confidence in your Bible tonight. Amen? You ought to have confidence that it's the, exactly what you need every time you open it. You say, but where should I open it? Anywhere, it don't matter. Just start reading. Amen? That's why we're preaching the way we're preaching. We're picking it and we're going right through it. Why? I want you to see that everywhere you go, there's something for you. You ought to have confidence in it. Well, not only David's confidence, but I want to give you the last one here tonight. Beginning verse 51, I want you to see David's caution. David's caution. His caution in verse 51, I call this, his caution was preemptive. You say, what does that mean? He just went after it. <laughs> Bible says in verse 51, David ran. Uh, you know what David didn't do? He didn't wait around to see what would happen. Like, well, that was really cool. I, I hit him. And he's like, what next? Right? He, he didn't just like wait around like, oh. like it's, I don't have a playbook here, guys. But you know, wait and see what happens. I mean, he was preemptive. He was cautious. He knew the giant was down, but I don't even know if he knew he was dead. You know how I know he didn't know he was dead? Because he cut his head off. You can't live if your head's cut off. Just saying, right? I mean, you could recover from a bad concussion, like your, your forehead sunken in. But once the head is severed from the body, statistics dictate that you're not going to live. Just throwing it out there. But it was preemptive. He's, he's cautious. He's thinking. He's smart. He's not like, I don't know what to do next. He's like, I better finish this thing off. He's very cautious. He didn't wait to see what would happen next. He didn't wonder like, I wonder what I should do now. He didn't wonder like, I think I'll go talk to the guys in the army here. Like, that was a pretty good shot, wasn't it? He didn't wait. He didn't wonder. He didn't wonder. He ran. He ran after that giant. His caution was not only preemptive, but it was purposeful. Here in verse 51, you see it. You say, what was the purpose? He cut off his head. Amen? And I bet you, I bet you day, or Goliath's sword was razor sharp. Amen? Chop, just like that. Down it goes. You see, uh, his caution was purposeful. And in verse 51... You notice when you're cautious and you have a purpose to it, it provides the right type of pressure. You say, how so? In verse 51, they fled. (laughs) I mean, when you see this nine-and-a-half-foot champion of yours and now he no longer has a head, I'm out of here if I'm on that guy's team. I'm gone. And they fled, the Bible says there. This is David's caution we're talking about. And notice this caution, it produces something. It's the right pressure, but it produced camaraderie in verse 52. Verse 52, the Bible says, the men of Judah arose. Now I want you to see what camaraderie does in the Christian life. Here's a great picture of it in verse 52. You know what camaraderie will do when you're in fellowship with the Lord and with the brethren? Notice this. In verse 52, uh, camaraderie will get men off their tails. You know what the problem in Christianity today is? I'll go after the men. Y'all ladies can relax. The men won't get off their tail. Amen. That's the God's honest truth. 
Well, you don't know if, oh, shut up. They're, they're, men will not get off their tail. Men will not do right. Men are lazy. Men are calculated. And the right camaraderie gets men off their tail in verse 52. The Bible says the men arose. Not only that, but camaraderie, when you're right with the Lord and with the brethren, and you got a purpose, it makes men shout. You see that? You ever go to ball game? Have family members playing sports? Do you go, oh, very nice job. Golf clap. Yeah! Can you imagine Goliath's head being severed? And this way I see it. When he chopped his head off, I believe David grabbed down there and just lifted it up like that, and all the stuff's hanging out the neck. And, I mean, that place just erupted like the Lions actually did win the Super Bowl. And everyone just went crazy. The enemies fled, like the Bible says. And the men of Judah, they arose and they shouted, and they went nuts. That's camaraderie. Not only that in verse 52, but that, the right camaraderie makes men pursue the enemy. And that's what's missing today in the Christian life. Men to get off their tail, men to get excited, and then men to actually pursue the enemy. Because many times we're on the defense. We're the ones running away. But notice this in verse 52, camaraderie helps to make the enemy fall. When you can see others excited about what they're doing for the Lord, it helps make the enemy fall. The Bible says in verse 52, the Philistines fell. Well, that's a blessing to me to see the right type of pressure that it produces something and that produced camaraderie. And not only that, but notice this, what David's caution does. His caution, it pays off. It pays off. Look at verse 53 to 58. In verse 53, look what, it pays off for other people. You see that? They spoiled their tents. Not only did David have a great victory, but all the men of Israel had a great victory. It's like, look, I went into battle and I was so poor, I was broke as a joke. But hey, now I got all my bills paid and I got a million bucks. Why? Because they're Jews, right? Their promises are the physical promises of the earth. So they spoiled their tents. Notice this in verse 54. This might be a little bit humorous. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But David finally got ahead in life. (laughs) All right. You want to get ahead in your Christian life? Go ahead and be cautious and do the right thing. Amen. David finally got ahead in life. How about this? In verse 57, see, I thought that was funny. Verse 57, <clears throat> David got an audience before the head honcho. See that verse 57? Where's he at? All of a sudden, they're talking about him in the throne room. I wonder, maybe I'm wrong. You know, you know you're thinking, where do you come up with this stuff? I don't know. I'm around 6th and 7th graders a good part of the day. And uh, so it makes your brains kind of like scrambled eggs sometimes. But I'm seeing this thing here, and David does the right thing. He's cautious. It produces. It pays off and all that. And all of a sudden, they're talking about him in the throne room. I wonder when you do what God wants you to do, if the Lord doesn't go, hey, hey, will you look at this? He actually did it today. And he gets about, you know, three or 4,000 angels to get excited. It only took him 48 years, but look at this guy. He's actually doing something right today. But he gets an audience with the head honcho. They're talking about him in the throne room. Well, not only that, in verse 54, I want you to see that David's caution, it pays off. He added some armor to his home. In verse 54, he gets to take the armor of Goliath to his tent. You say, why? I don't know, just spoils of war, man. When you have victories, I mean, if they're big victories, write them down. Write them down. You get victory over laziness, write it down. 
You get victory over your mouth, write it down. You get victory over rebellion, write it down. You get victory, whatever it is, write it down. What is That's adding some armor to your home, amen? And then notice this in verse 55 to 56, David gained some honor abroad, some honor abroad. They're talking about him. You see that? Men will talk about you. Uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 18. Just go ahead a couple chapters to verse 7. When you do what's right, the Lord sometimes, many times, he'll give you a little bit of honor here. Now, that's not why we should do it. But I'm telling you, David doing the right thing at the right time, it pays off. 1 Samuel chapter 18, look to verse 7. You know this verse. I mean, people are so enamored with David doing the right thing. He's cautious and doing the right thing at the right time. Man, he's got, he's got the ladies singing about him. And you know, if you ever study that Jew, they sing about everything. They're happy they sing. They're sad they sing. And every time they sing, it's always in a minor key. I don't understand that. But anyways, that's that Jew for you. Uh, for, you ever hear a Jewish song? They're, they're, it's, you can definitely tell. It's like if you uh, go into a Chinese restaurant, it's like, you, know, you can tell it's Shem, right? But you listen to Jewish music or Hebrew music. Is that racist? I'll apologize. Man. You know it's Jewish music. You cannot mistake it. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David gets his honor. You say, why? He was cautious. And when you're cautious in your Christian life, you'll, you'll go after the right things, and it'll have a purpose. It'll provide the right pressure. It will produce things that are helpful to others, and it will always pay off. And you see that right through the text. I want you to see that David's courage tonight, it brought criticism, which, of course, led to David counterfeiting in his life. But after putting off the wrong things and picking up the right things, David moves forward to do exactly what God called him to do. You say, what is that? Follow the heart of God. David moves forward. He's confident. He's cautious, allowing the Lord to win the battle against Goliath and the Philistines, and it puts David in the presence of the king. Isn't that a blessing? You see, David's a man after God's own heart. And see, even though he's a man after God's own heart, he's still being developed. And it's early on in his ministry. And uh, I just thought this was a real great piece to be encouraged by and see what David does right and see where it's always easy to get swayed off the road through criticism. You're going to face criticism the rest of this week. It might not be every day, but you'll see it. And maybe the Lord will let you see it for what it is and just rejoice in the thing anyways. May the Lord stir us up today to be after his heart, amen, to be used by him to either keep the sheep to face the giants, or even testify in front of kings about the one real king and make it all about him. That's the message tonight. Why don't you stand?